This is News Source 1 Mikiana. Welcome to your new afternoon and evening edition of News 2 Go. All the news and feature segments to keep you entertained and enlightened. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. A Kremlin spokesman says a Russian delegation will be ready to resume talks with Ukrainian officials about the war in Ukraine. Charles de Ledesma reports. Spokesman Dmitry Peskov has told reporters that in the second half of Wednesday, our delegation will be in place to await Ukrainian negotiators. He did not indicate where the talks would take place and no immediate word has come from Ukrainian authorities about their plans. The first round of talks on resolving the war were held near the Belarus-Ukraine border last Sunday and had failed to produce a breakthrough, though the two sides had agreed to meet again. I'm Charles Duladesma. Also at SRNews.com, President Biden using his State of the Union address to declare American unity for the Ukrainian people. What else correspondent Greg Cluxton has that story. The president vowed to check Russian aggression in Ukraine and in a rare bipartisan moment declared that all members of Congress are joined with an unwavering resolve that freedom will always triumph over tyranny. Let each of us, if you're able to stand, stand and send an unmistakable signal to the world of Ukraine. Mr. Biden also spoke of the unity of a Western alliance that has imposed stiff economic sanctions on Moscow. Greg Clugston, Washington. Oil prices have kept surging and topped $110 per barrel as Russia's war continues against Ukraine, but stocks and other markets showing less fear than a day earlier. Fed Chair Jerome Powell has told Congress he would support raising interest rates by a quarter of a percentage point this month. It would also uh, be more modest a raise than some investors along Wall Street had been fearing. On Wall Street, the Dow ahead 600 points, and the S&P 500 is up 75. This is SRN News. About half of all abortions in this country are carried out by the use of drugs. This is a very ominous development because the pills are obviously more difficult to track and to control than the kind of surgical abortion that requires a clinic or some kind of hospital or medical facility. Southern Baptist leader Dr. Albert Moeller. It shows the double-edged sword of every technology. A technology that can save lives can also be used to end lives. He says more in his daily briefing at albertmoeller.com. The Georgia State Senate passing a bill that would require women to get an in-person exam from a physician before a doctor could prescribe her abortion pills. Senators voting 31 to 22 for the measure, sending it to the House for more debate. The legislation part of a nationwide push by pro-life groups to keep doctors from prescribing abortion pills by telemedicine. This is SRN News. New York State's school mask mandate ends today, but not the one for New York City's more than one million school children. Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul gave COVID rates and CDC guidance as the reason when announcing Sunday, but is leaving it up to municipalities to decide their own timetable. New York City's mayor says the school mask mandate can be lifted next Monday if COVID numbers remain low. Connecticut, New Jersey, Delaware, Massachusetts, and others recently made similar adjustments to ease restrictions for schools. California, Oregon, and Washington lift their school mask mandate March 12th. Julie Walker, New York. Kent Waldrop, a TCU running back who became an advocate for disabled people after a spinal injury, 
left him paralyzed, has died. He was 67. After his injury during a 1974 game at Alabama, Waltrips went on to help raise tens of millions of dollars for paralysis research. More details at srnnews.com. From Feature Story News in Washington, I'm Nick Harper. Peace talks between Russia and Ukraine are expected to take place in the coming hours. There's no indication of where they would be held, though, if they go ahead. FSN's Julia Chapman reports from Moscow. Dmitry Peskov, the spokesperson for the Kremlin, did say that he uh, doesn't have the power of foresight. He cannot predict the outcome of these talks uh, and wouldn't be drawn when journalists asked him what he would view as a successful outcome. But he did say that President Vladimir Putin has made clear uh, Russia's conditions for these talks. Earlier today, President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine said that it wanted uh, Ukraine wanted Russia to stop bombing cities before any more talks can go forward. Russia's Ministry of Defense says it's taken control of the southern Ukrainian city of Kherson, something denied by the city's local authorities. Moscow has also denied that it's targeting civilians, despite the more than 400 Ukrainian civilians who've been reported as either killed or injured. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson says that in his view, action taken by the Russian President Vladimir Putin already qualifies as a war crime. As FSN's Laura Macon Isherwood reports from London. As the war in Ukraine moves into its seventh day and the number of civilians killed continues to grow, there are many turning their attention to the tactics and weapons being used by Russian President Vladimir Putin to take control. And in Westminster, during Prime Minister's questions, Prime Minister Boris Johnson made his view very clear. Uh, what we have seen already uh, from Vladimir Putin's regime in the use of the munitions that they have already been, uh, been dropping on, as, on innocent civilians, uh, Mr Speaker, uh, in my view, already fully qualifies as, as, as a war crime. And I know that the, uh, that the ICC prosecutor is already investigating, and I'm sure the whole House uh, will support that. Meanwhile, the White House says it's still very open to imposing sanctions on Russia's oil and gas industry. So far, the US has held back targeting the sector over fears it would further disrupt supply, forcing prices even higher. The threat of those new sanctions follow US President Joe Biden's State of the Union address, much of which was aimed at the situation in Ukraine. Since taking office, Biden's popularity has fallen. But there has been a somewhat positive reaction to the speech among U.S. citizens, even though that might not win him back long-lasting support, as FSN's U.S. Bureau Chief Simon Marks reports. The real question, I think, is whether those uh, short-term gains uh, measured in snap overnight polls that are not always entirely reliable translate into anything tangible for the president. At times, the speech, which dwelt enormously on domestic challenges, almost sounded like a laundry list of issues that he was checking off and issues that have been stuck in Congress for months. From Bureaus Worldwide, this is FSN. With FSN Spotlight, I'm Simon Marks. Today, a portrait of Kiev on the eve of a Russian military onslaught. The Ukrainian capital saw horrific scenes on Tuesday. Thousands of people at the main railway station trying to get out after the Russians warned they planned to target critical infrastructure in the city. But it's also seen a pattern of daily life develop over the last six days since the Russian invasion began that has so far allowed people to keep going. But journalist Oz Katerji on assignment in Kiev says that cannot last much longer. The pharmacies that are open have really long queues in them. Elderly people are obviously being moved to the front of these queues. The resilience and spirit of these, of these people is, is really uh, humbling to behold. 
But the other thing is, is food. Food is becoming a real problem. Supplies are running out. Shelves, I posted some tweets earlier today. Shelves are completely bare on, on, on many of the shops that I walked into. Completely, completely bare. And it's a city of 3 million people where a lot of people are living in bunkers and underground train stations. And they come up in the daytime to get food and water. And then they go back into the train stations. And sooner or later, and it's going to be sooner, they're going to come up to try and find food and they're not going to find anything. The United Nations says over half a million Ukrainians have already fled the country and fears Vladimir Putin's war could spark a migrant crisis in Europe of historic proportions. With FSN Spotlight, I'm Simon Marks. And the main news again. Peace talks between Russia and Ukraine are expected to take place in the coming hours. There's no indication, though, of where they'll be held if they go ahead. Russia's Ministry of Defence... Russia's Ministry of Defence says it's taken control of the southern Ukrainian city of Kherson, something denied by the city's local authorities. And the White House says it's still very open to imposing sanctions on Russia's oil and gas industry. There's more from us on Twitter at Feature Story. That's Feature Story News. Nick Harper reporting. Looking for just that neat item? Can't find it anywhere at the big stores? Well dropped by B4 Retail Discount Store located at 23440 US 33 in Dunlap south of Elkhart. They have items at reduced prices. Hey, they're on Facebook too. Open Monday through Friday 10am to 6pm and weekends 9am to 6pm. That's B4 Retail Shop here in Dunlap. Detailed forecast. Wednesday a 20% chance of showers after 3pm, partly sunny, with a high near 48. Southeast wind 5 to 10 miles per hour becoming west in the afternoon. Wednesday night a 10% chance of showers before 7 p.m., mostly cloudy, with a low around 25. North wind around 10 miles per hour, with gusts as high as 20 miles per hour. Thursday partly sunny, with a high near 34. Northeast wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Thursday night mostly cloudy, with a low around 24. North wind around 5 miles per hour becoming east after midnight. Friday partly sunny, with a high near 42. Friday night a slight chance of rain and snow after 1 a.m., mostly cloudy, with a low around 34. Chance of precipitation is 20%. Saturday a 40% chance of rain, mainly after 1 p.m., mostly cloudy, with a high near 59. Saturday night rain, low around 49. Chance of precipitation is 80%. Sunday a 30% chance of rain, partly sunny, with a high near 60. Breezy. So let's be real for a minute. Have you ever wondered why the bad guys seem to win so much in this world? On Sunday, we confess this is our Father's world. But does the cynic in you ever start screaming during the week how futile it is to play by his rules? Have you ever just gotten green with envy over how good some folks seem to have it? Hi, I'm Pastor Joel of Harp City Church. And we're sampling the Psalms, and today we've reached Psalm 73. In this Psalm, Asaph, the writer, he admits up front he has a problem with the world he's seeing. He writes in verse 3, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He then goes on to document in some detail how the rich and arrogant have seemingly no problems in this life. Unlike the rest of mankind, they strut about, they're living it up, they're healthy, enjoying the good things, and they happily take advantage of others, giving zero thought to God. Asaph says, This is what the wicked are like, 
always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. And by verse 13, I think he must be as green as the Hulk when he says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. But at this very moment, this moment of greatest envy and feeling sorry for himself, he does two things. First, he gets outside himself. He steps out of his isolation. Listen to verse 15 where he says, If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. He suddenly realizes there are public ramifications to his personal resentment. He realizes that if he opens his mouth here, his actions could affect God's children, the community of believers. His envy, his response to resentment will only push others to doubt and despair. And the second thing he does, he enters God's sanctuary, the place where God meets with his people. And it is there that he discerns, discerns the end of the wicked. This discernment is the wisdom of God. How God's plans and purposes are far greater than you and I can take in in a moment of time we're in. It is as if Asaph says, stupid me. They're there, the rich, perched on a greased ice ball. And any moment they're going to slip from their high place and be no more. And when I was green with envy, he confesses, I was becoming like a beast. Friends, the remedy to our envy is to come out of our isolation and into the presence of God, remembering his people as well. It is there that we suddenly find we're more blessed. We're blessed beyond all we could ever ask for or imagine. Now, here's a couple of verses that you can put in your pocket today and pull out. Verses 25 and 26, Asaph says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is a great passage. I think it's impossible to capture the euphoria that Asaph has discovered here in God's presence. Dane Ortland comes close when he writes on it like this. With God, you are invincible. Nothing can touch you. Your greatest enjoyment, God, can never be taken away from you. In heaven, God is all you want and need. On earth, God is all you want and need. In death or life, in sickness or in health, even as your body wastes away towards the grave, God is all you want and need. My friend, the path from envy to true happiness is found in communion with God. God is our remedy for envy. And the wicked will be snuffed out. Why? Because they're far from God. But you can say, as Asaph does at the end, As for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. And we see here that when you've been cured of envy, you will want to go out and share that remedy with others. Invite them to discover the privilege they have of finding everlasting riches, the everlasting riches of our great God in the highest heaven. My friend, remember who you are and who you belong to. D&M Resale Shop locates at 915 Baldwin Street Unit 1 in Elkhart is your unique store that is just like a garage sale, but inside a store. Great items for you and your home.
It's a store of love run by a local pastor. D&M Resale is open Tuesday through Fridays 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. and Saturdays 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. For more information, call 219-229-1220. That's D&M Resale Shop in the City with a Heart. We've all heard the saying, we live in two different Americas. At times, it's used to illustrate the great divide between Democrats and Republicans. At other times, it's used to shed light on the contrasting realities of the rich and the poor. However, nowhere is this saying truer than when illuminating the priorities of white America versus those of black America. The John R. Lewis Voting Rights Act remains unpassed by the Senate. The George Floyd Justice and Policing Act of 2021 remains unpassed by Congress. Student loan payments are set to resume in the spring of this year. These are just some of the many issues that are of particular interest to black Americans. And while the president's State of the Union address speaks to the past accomplishments, current standing, and future goals of his administration in the United States, some of the issues important to our people end up as little more than a footnote on the pages meant to address America as a whole. To remedy this, we are joined by former mayor of New Orleans and current president and CEO of the Urban League, Mark Morial. Mr. Morial is charged with delivering the State of Black America, an annual report published by the Urban League. This is Our Daily Story, and I am your host, Ramses Ja. Talk to us about where we stand as far as voting rights and what we can do to ensure that our votes are counted. This episode is brought to you by Amazon. They say a penny saved is a penny earned, but they didn't say the best way to do that is with free shipping on millions of items at Amazon. And that's just for starters, from epic daily deals to low-priced everyday essentials to saving up to 15% with subscribe and save, Amazon can always save you a pretty penny. Learn all the ways to save with Amazon. Spend less. Smile more. Thank you for the question. Our democracy is under threat. Our voting rights are under threat because there's a concerted effort uh, from forces on the right to simply make it more difficult by using state laws mm. for people to vote. It's targeted at black voters, Latino voters, disabled voters. Uh, it's targeted at voters who uh, have uh, gotten used to voting by mail or early voting. All of these are efforts to make it more difficult for people to vote. Uh, I believe it's racially and politically motivated, targeted at African-Americans and Latinos and also disabled. It's targeted in many places at young voters and some, in many cases, indige indigenous and Native American voters. If you look at the laws, and we're talking about proposed laws or laws that have been passed in some 40 plus states in the United States. Uh, these laws are designed to suppress voter turnout. These are people who do not want tens of millions of Americans to vote. They want to suppress voter turnout. And they've posited, promoted, used fake arguments, fabrications, and lies regarding the integrity of voting 
to support these efforts. Now, to stop this, we need Congress to step in. And as you know, we passed through the Congress, through the House of Representatives, two bills which would have stopped much of this voter suppression in its tracks. But those bills did not uh, pass the United States Senate because of the filibuster. Right. And this is the state of play. It's an attack on American democracy. It is those who may not have liked the fact that we had record voter turnout in the 2020 election, the highest voter turnout in American history. 70% of the people who voted used early voting or vote by mail or absentee voting to vote. We had an error-free election for the most part. Uh, and those that didn't like the outcome, didn't like the turnout, are the same folks who were behind the January 6th insurrection and coup. Mm. It's the same folks who are promoting these voter suppression laws. So democracy is a foundation of this country. It means we can all participate in electing the people who make the rules by which we live. And when you cut back on democracy, you end up with autocracy. And we're seeing autocracy in action right now in right. Russia. We're seeing an autocratic leader named Vladimir Putin without a vote, without any consent of his people, uh, invading a sovereign neighbor nation that is a democratic nation. So we need to understand that this movement to undercut democracy is a global movement. It has global implications. But here in the United States, it's targeted at black voters, brown voters, disabled voters, young voters, indigenous voters who have voted in the 2020 election in a coalition which ended the presidency of the 45th president of the United States. Wow. Very good. I appreciate the answer. Um, now, as we mentioned a little earlier, policing reform has encountered some setbacks. What is the current state of our national police reform initiative? So right now we have, and let me, let me kind of break it down into several elements. Right now we do have a United States Department of Justice, which is serious about police accountability. They've secured in the last uh, week and a half two hate crime convictions Mm. against vigilantes in the case of Ahmaud Arbery and police officers in the case of the three uh, in Minneapolis who were part of the murder of George Floyd. Right. So we have a strong, committed Department of Justice and a civil rights division led uh, by one of the nation's most prominent civil rights lawyers, Kristen Clark. That's positive. We have efforts underway in many local communities to reform policing. What is missing, and it's the same thing, a federal law that would give those who are victims of police brutality stronger rights and also give prosecutors at the federal level a stronger hand in holding police accountable in both the criminal and civil justice systems. What happened to that bill? It passed the House of Representatives twice. Once again, the United States Senate and its filibuster 
Mm. prevented the bill from becoming law. President Biden committed to sign these bills, the policing bill and the voting rights bills, but they have been stopped in their tracks by the Senate filibuster and by the recalcitrance of the United States Senate to even allow these bills to be voted on on the merits on the floor of the United States Senate. So I believe that in talking about this, we need to be absolutely accurate that these bills passed the House of Representatives. The president was committed to and prepared to sign it, and it didn't pass the United States Senate because of the filibuster. The filibuster, which was the enemy of civil rights in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s has emerged as the tool of those who do not want to see progress on civil rights and racial justice in this country. The filibuster is their tool. Understood. So moving to student loan debt, regardless of the incomes that people make after graduation, Black households carry more student debt, which pushes down their credit worthiness. What is the latest on the fight to cancel student loan debt? Uh, I know that the president has recently canceled some student debt. I think one of the questions is how far can the president go on his own Mm. in canceling student debt versus versus the need for the Congress of the United States to, in effect, pass student debt? And I think we face the same set of problems. Same set of political issues, and that is uh, the Senate filibuster uh, and the unwillingness of some to go along with the cancellation or the reduction of student debt. Some of the issues that have emerged is whether student debt should be canceled for the children of wealthy parents or whether student debt should be canceled for people who are now making significant sums of money and whether the focus should be on those whose families do not have resources and, and do not have money. So there's the idea of canceling all student debt. There are ideas out there to cancel partial student debt. But the truth is, is to do something significant will once again require votes in the Congress of the United States. And I, I really think that people need to understand sometimes in many discussions, I hear people suggesting that on voting rights or policing, that the president on his own can fix these problems. We're in a constitutional democracy. As powerful as the presidency is, this is not Russia or China, where the president can rule, legislate by decree. And this is why we have to make sure that when we think about voting, we can't just vote for president. We have to vote for the Senate, for the House, for legislators, for mayors, we have to maximize our power, maximize our impact, maximize our influence across the board if our agenda is going to be fulfilled. Having said that, student debt is one of the huge barriers to African-American homeownership. And we not only have to address the issue of student debt, we have to address the issue of college affordability. Because if we cancel student debt, but don't do anything going forward to make college more affordable, we will have another generation with the same or even more student debt 
in the future. This is a complex problem. I believe that it shouldn't be so expensive to get a higher education. A hundred plus years ago, the United States made great strides by making K through 12 free. If you go back to the 17 and 1800s, there were no public schools. Those that got educated went to private academies, had private tours, and were, if you will, the children of the wealthy. In the 1900s, uh, when there was a free a public school movement in the country, we made great progress, even though we have an inequitable education system. We created something fundamental. We need to create a right, not just a community college, but a right to a four-year college degree. And we need to find a way to make it affordable and available, and I think ideally free for those who cannot afford to pay tuition. Understood. With Bloomberg's global news coverage, you will get inspiration to feed your ambition. You will shed light on dark matter with insights that shift your perspective. You will turn 5G up to 11 with our in-depth analysis. You will bridge the gender pay gap by turning data into action. So before you invent, pioneer, disrupt. Before you change the world, Bloomberg. Discover more at Bloomberg.com slash you will. Here with us discussing the state of our black union is our guest, president and CEO of the Urban League, Mark Morial. Now, with names like Reverend Al Sharpton and Reverend Jesse Jackson, those are folks who have fought for black people for decades. And as we know, no one can fight forever. Along with yourself, who are some of the new leaders in the charge for civil rights? I think that there are many. I think that Reverend Sharpton and Reverend Jackson have been preeminent in their visibility. Mm. And I think there have been for years many, many civil rights leaders who may not be as visible on the national stage as Reverend Sharpton or Reverend Jackson or others who have played a significant role along the way, right? Uh, they may not be household names, but sure. they may be household names in a particular city or in a particular jurisdiction. I think there are many, many new leaders out there. Uh, amongst uh, historic civil rights organizations, uh, we have many, many new generation local leaders. Okay. Presidents of urban leagues in places like Louisville and Charlotte and New Orleans and, uh, and, uh, uh, Atlanta and uh, Baltimore, uh, they are not national figures, but they're significant voices for civil rights at the local level. So I think that there are many. And I also think our leadership community is far more varied. We have activists. We have elected officials. We have people that lead civil rights organizations. I think you have a whole new generation of people who are influencers in social media, sure. uh, who bring their voice and bring the voice of civil rights out there. I hesitate to begin naming names because I may forget a few here <laughs> or a few there. But I do think that Reverend Jackson uh, and Reverend Sharpton, and one thing that we could take away from them is that they have been lifelong fighters. Reverend Jackson and Reverend Sharpton, for example, didn't become who they were overnight. Uh, they were in the crucible on the front lines 
in the case of Reverend Jackson, all the way back to the 60s. In the case of Reverend Jackson, a historic race for presidency uh, in the 1980s. In the case of Reverend Sharpton, alongside Reverend Jackson, and then doing important work as an activist here in New York City. Uh, and, and it takes a long time for people to emerge, right, at a national level. You know, I am proud to be able to work with them. And in the case of Reverend Jackson, to have been a Jesse Jackson delegate when I was a very, very young person in my 20s, mm. uh, when he ran for president of the United States. In the case of Reverend Sharpton, uh, he and I worked very closely together on a range of issues. I think what I hope is that we recognize as new generations of leaders emerge that we do not fall into the trap of believing that there's some sort of generational battle to see who's king of the hill, right? right. Uh, that to me is a, is, a, is, a, is a destructive mindset. And sometimes the media will promote who's the most preeminent uh, black leader. Well, no one says who's the most preeminent Italian leader or the most preeminent Jewish leader, right? Or the right. most, uh, you know, preeminent uh, 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 labor leader, right? We have, I think today, an orchestra of people, right, who work on behalf of equity and racial justice and civil rights all the time. And I do think in the aftermath of the Trayvon Martin, uh, Michael Brown, all the way through, I think a new generation, and I think the generation has emerged uh, with a commitment to activism and civic engagement around the issues of racial justice, equity, and civil rights. Very good. Now, keeping in that same vein, uh, under your leadership, describe how the Urban League is working to continue to provide economic empowerment, educational opportunities, and the guarantee of civil rights for the underserved in America. I want everyone who's listening to understand the unique role of the National Urban League. What is unique about us? Uh, we are the only historic civil rights organization that for now 100 plus years has done direct programs in urban communities. We have job training, after school, early childhood, home buyer education, small business assistance. It's an important part of what we do that is unique. But in addition to that, we're an advocate. Uh, we're an advocate on issues of civil rights and economic empowerment. So I think more than any other organization in the civil rights community, we speak for economic empowerment and economic justice. We're on the front lines battling the wealth gap. We're on the front lines pushing for home ownership, for better pay, for better wages, for better, uh, uh, if you will, opportunities for our businesses to grow. So we are unique and civil rights organizations. Some people say, well, what's the difference between or what's alike? What's alike is we're bound by mission. Mm -hmm. And like the Army, the Navy and the Air Force and the Marines, they're bound together by mission. But the work they do may be different. Uh, and in the civil rights community, that's our philosophy. It's a, a philosophy of operational unity, but not unanimity. Okay. So we respect differences. We respect 
the different different type of work we do, the lanes we look. Black America is almost 50 million people, large enough to be a nation within a nation. Black America and Latinos are over 100 million people. When you include all our allies, you're talking about, you know, over 100 million people who we think want a more just and equitable nation. Sure. Uh, and we seek to coalition build, uh, collaborate, uh, mobilize, uh, work within the system, sometimes put pressure on the outside of the system. That's the Urban League today. I've worked to change and transform the National Urban League, build on our past, but make us much more, uh, I think, uh, uh, built to deal with the needs of today. Got it. So how can people listening today, how can they support the Urban League's mission? So you can become a member by joining an Urban League affiliate in your community. You can join in our online community by going to www.nul.org and signing up for free to be part of our digital community, our online community. You can become part of our social media community by following us at Nat Urban League or following me at Mark Morial to be part of this continuous conversation uh, about civil rights, racial justice, and economic empowerment. So we encourage people uh, to be involved in our work, to be a part of the Urban League, but we encourage people to, on a larger basis, to be involved in community, to be voters to be voices, to have an opinion that's informed and educated about the issues that affect our community, to be in that debate, to be in that discussion, to be active and involved. We all are part of this work and we're all a part of this fight. And the biggest enemy we face is the enemy of complacency, mm. uh, the enemy of, of uh, dejection. We have no time for that. Well said. Well, thank you very much for your time and for your insight. Uh, once again, today's guest is Mark Morial, the president and the CEO of the Urban League. Thanks again. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate you and keep up the good work. Yes, sir. Big Brother, North Korea's Forgotten Prince is a new true crime podcast that dives deep into the life and mysterious assassination of the man once destined to be North Korea's next dictator. Join me, Eden Lee, as we investigate a twisting tale of espionage, palace gossip, and political backstabbing, and dive into the motives and suspects behind the most bizarre assassination plot of the 21st century. Listen to Big Brother on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's important to know where we stand. It's important that we identify the work we have to do to further define our rights as citizens in this country, to protect the lives and liberties of ourselves and our posterity, to create the realities we wish to see for our people. We all have a role to play in each other's futures, and the first step is to become engaged, but that is far from the goal. It is up to us to organize within our communities. It is incumbent upon us to demand proper representation. Our responsibility to our people is to affirm our humanity now and forever, loudly and proudly. Our responsibility is to assert the equality afforded to us under the laws of this country. Our responsibility is to pursue our version of the American dream. 
As we do this, perhaps we will further close the gap between our two different Americas and truly become one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. This has been a production of the Black Information Network. Today's show was produced by Chris Thompson. Follow us on all social media at Our Daily Story. I am your host, Ramses Ja. Join us tomorrow as we share our news with our voice from our perspective, right here on Our Daily Story. This is News Source 1 Michiana, Elkhart South Bend, 